Good morning. Tiger Woods is back this week and the Farmers Insurance Open. We'll be talking about plenty of golf and much more on the big kickoff. Good morning, it's the 28th of January 2018. You're listening to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. Jason Collins is with me today. How are you doing, Roy? You well? Good, good. Uh, how are you doing? I'm grand, yeah, not too bad. How was your weekend? What did you get up to? It's okay, I was working, doing a, doing a little bit more radio, and it uh, seems to be my life these days. That's, which, that, uh, that's not a bad thing, yeah, though, is not it? not a bad thing, and uh, apart from that, just being a daddy and all that, uh, two young boys, so... Nothing too exciting, Roy, you know. <laughs> living the dream, living the dream. The kids take it out of you, don't kids they? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, as I said, we'll be talking plenty of golf today. We have Gary O'Neill, who is, has a Facebook page. He's a sports fitness, I should say, golf fitness instructor. And he has a, a Facebook page called Confessions of a Golf Addict. He's about 40,000 golf followers who follow him so it'd be interesting to see what angle he come from and i suppose what he wants to achieve with the with, with the page of course there's football galore you can't stop talking about the, the transfer market and and, and stuff like that they, uh, jay who, who do you follow <laughs> for me since follow liverpool you follow liverpool of course <laughs> you do just replacing david bugle <laughs> well, just give a bit of balance obviously to the, to the evil that uh-huh. comes from <laughs> Uh, and of course then we will do uh, we have a little we have a little clip that we meant to play a few weeks ago and I put it up on, on our on our Twitter account kind of really wanted to, to play it and I haven't got around to it so we're going to play it today discuss it a little bit and we'll see how we get on Jay our first song that we have today what have we got yeah they're a new Dublin band they're called Carms that's K-A-R-M-S and they're thundering indie rock four piece from Dublin their brothers Colm and Stephen O'Loughlin they're brand new young lads in their early 20s and uh, they're um, completed by a couple of friends Danny and Jay and they're going to be playing a gig on uh, Whelan's in February 24th to support their brand new EP called River so this song is called River and this is Carms And welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. If you want to contact us, it's 0870627138. And of course, our email is thebigkickoff96.4 at gmail.com. 
Jason, I think there is no other way to start than Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see the game last night? I seen the game last night. Go t- tell me what you thought. Uh, well, same old, same old, isn't it? Inconsistent Liverpool, you know. Flatter to deceive. Uh, somebody told me, like, we beat City and then yeah. we go and lose against Swansea. Yeah. 20th place. And then we go and lose against um, uh, the Baggies. West, West yeah, Brown. I think they're 19th place. So it just goes to show you, doesn't it, Sam? Sometimes you think, does Klopp really know what he's doing? Do the team know what they're doing? You yeah, know? yeah. I, I looked at the first half of the game. Funny enough, that was probably the most interesting part yeah. of the game because there was three VAR calls in the game. What did you think about the VAR calls? Yeah, I thought, uh, and I was kind of reading up on it afterwards to kind of confirm what I thought. I thought they were all right, the correct, all the correct answers were made. It was just a massive delay. Yeah. Like, I think one of the delays was, it felt like about three minutes and uh, just took all of the, you know, fun out of it. Yeah. And uh, I was listening to commentator saying, imagine you turned up to a concert and uh, like, it's just a music concert and they just stopped the music for three minutes and closed the curtains, <laughs> yeah. you know? You'd, yeah. you'd be like, what's going on? Now, I know in football it's different. It adds to the drama, I guess, doesn't it? Um, but it did, it did seem to kind of take the momentum out of the game. Yeah. Did it have to be that long? Well, looking at the replay and the commentators looking at the replay, they called it on the first view yeah. of the replay. Mm. So if the commentator can call it on the first view, why do they need five and six views to make? Now, I know they're under fierce yeah. pressure, yeah. and especially with a, a video replay. If they don't get it right with a video replay, they're, yeah. <laughs> you know, they could actually lose their job or be demoted or what, what yeah. have you. So maybe there's a lot of pressure there initially. So maybe we'll, I suppose you have to maybe leave it for a month or two and, and just say, listen, we'll see how it goes. But it, it took far too long. And as you said, it, it, it takes that. If you score a goal, mm. you're, you know, you want to go over, you want to celebrate with the fans. <laughs> Throw your short day in, yeah. whatever it is. You'd be looking over, not sure. Going, yeah, should you look, celebrate? Should, should yeah, yeah you're, you're looking behind you, and you see your man making the box sign, and yeah. go, "Ah, oh, God!" Yeah. So, and then when you do score, then it's taken over. So, it, right, listen, it's in its infancy, so we'll, we'll see how it goes with that. But there was the, the third goal; they went to VAR. I didn't think they really needed. No, to. me neither. I was surprised. So yeah. I felt like they were just going to willy nilly down at that stage. I'm, I'm. I'm afraid that they're going to start using it too much. Mm. That there's going to be too many decisions. Yeah. And I think they, they use it over in, in Poland and they said they only use it for decisions that are in around the box, okay. which is fine. I don't think that has, they've said that that's all it's going to be used for in England. So I'm afraid that now for bookings, they're going to ask, go up to the box. Captain's going to keep going over. Ask, have a look at VAR. Have a that, look at VAR. Yeah, they will. And that was something else as well. Like, you know, they were chasing. They were hounding, especially the baggies. The, yeah. They were they're hounding the ref yeah. for loads of decisions. And I was going, lads, you know, enough. Enough's enough. Just take your... Even if it's, you know, you feel like it's wrong, just grow up, like, yeah. you know, yeah. and move on. But it was interesting afterwards. Klopp was happy, even though they lost. And they lost, uh, you know... Credit to the Maggies. Klopp was kind of happy with the whole VAR thing. I was just reading what he was saying about it. Okay. He said, look, I don't really have an issue. It'll take a while. Like what you were saying, Roy, it's in its infancy and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, Pardew was the opposite. He was, you know, even though they won and stuff, he was going nuts. He didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. Yeah, see, I didn't see, yeah. the, see the interview afterwards. But I see, I suppose, again, right, we'll, talk, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll leave it there. We'll say, listen, we'll come back in a month's time yeah. and then you, you, you see what way it's working out. Jurgen Klopp. A few people have had their thoughts about Jurgen Klopp. As you said, they've lost against Manchester City, or beat Manchester City, and they've lost then two games in a row against lower-sided uh, teams. Yeah. And, well, here's a fan. 
buying Virgil van Dijk for 75 million and selling Philippe Coutinho for 142 million will cost Jurgen Klopp his job. You cannot sell your best players and expect to qualify for the Champions League. Jurgen Klopp is tactically inept. Jurgen Klopp will never win any trophies as a Liverpool manager. How can Klopp say Karius is his number one goalkeeper? He is worse than Mignolet. The, They've made changes, and they've actually made them worse. Been in the Premier League now how long? And if he can't still figure out to break teams down, he got no plan B. I know our goalkeepers are shambles anyway. You know we've been we've been saying that for how many years? But if he can't, you know, figure out a plan to break teams down, then what's the point? I mean, we look good one week, and the next week we look shocking. Since Brendan Rodgers, nothing's actually changed. We're still conceding 50 goals a season, which which you can't do in this league if you want to win the title. And mm. as simple as that. So, harsh words. I think it's the same every week, though. It is, yeah. I, you know, I'd agree with a lot of what they said there. The whole Karius thing. Yeah, I, don't, I can't get my head around that at all yeah. as a Liverpool fan. He now, he was the answer for Mignolet. Yeah. So, when they brought him in, this is the, the great boy Hope. He's coming in. He's going he's gonna to change things around. Yeah. He looked he looked feeble when he came in. He like, looks afraid. He afraid. Looks like the confidence isn't there. It's ever. No. And the comp- so the confidence is not there. He's not feeling it. Yeah. And if there is a mistake, then he's feeding off the nerves of the mm. crowd mm. And, and, and vice versa. Yeah. So there's a very nervous situation there. Yeah, big time. You can see it straight away, can't you? It's palpable. So yeah. that's, a, that's a problem straight away. Yeah. They, need, they need experience there. They don't yeah. need youth now. No, I think they will. But I can't see it happening until the next transfer window. Why does it take so long? I don't do know. I, I, look, it took so long for them to get Van Dijk in, yeah. to get a, a, a good, decent centre. Yeah. Is that the issue, though? Is it, look, he's, he's not just trying to get a good goalkeeper, he's trying to get a great goalkeeper. Oh, you'd, you'd like to think, but then, you'd, then yeah. it doesn't happen and you're like, <laughs> you get curious. But the problem is with football, it can pass you by. So if he's, if he's in that job and he doesn't get them players in quickly, mm. it may be someone else who's getting those players in. Yeah. You know? So he needs, to, he needs to sort that out fairly quickly. Now, I'm not too bothered if Liverpool are, <laughs> are winning one week and doing people a favour at the top and then losing the next week. But it's the same for the last, I don't know how many years at Liverpool. So uh, I'd say it's frustrating yeah. to be a Liverpool supporter. It's frustrating. I think it all would kind of pinch yourself now. Maybe about 10 years ago, I would have felt it a lot more. You know, Now I'm kind of a bit more, well, do you know what? It is a bit of the same old, same old. I'm not going to get no. so annoyed about it's a, it. It's a numbing. It's is a, it? Well, it's just I think once you've been a long-term Liverpool fan, you know, you know, like it's not as if we haven't won anything. Um, we haven't won anything in a while, but you kind of get over it. Like your man's comment about the Coutinho thing, he wanted to go and he was pushing and pushing and pushing. He probably could have went last summer. We got a load of money from. I think they will use the money um, down the line, but right now it's just kind of a take your medicine anyway. Yeah, it's Kevin Keegan style of football, though, isn't it? Ah, oh, hugely. Like if the team comes out and attacks us, there's a good chance. Like there's the gaps game. in behind, yeah, so they can use the pace that they have to get in behind yeah. but when there's no gaps who was it said it there was the Sheffield Wednesday I can't remember who Sheffield Wednesday were playing the other day and they beat them it must have been a premiership club so anyhow Thunder, oh Swansea sorry it was the Swansea manager he was Sheffield Wednesday uh, Carvajal and he says how did you deal with was it Liverpool or, or Chelsea how did you deal with them he says well listen they're like a Formula 1 racing car that. And he says, well, they're like a Formula One racing car. He says, they're great out on the track, but you put them in London traffic. So in other words, you slow them down. Yeah. You don't let them in behind you. And then they can't do anything. And, yeah. and it's, it's, simple. It's, it's simple. Have you got the players to do it? Liverpool don't have the players to. They lost one of the best players to be able to do that. It's continue. Yeah. So actually, a friend of mine said, uh, he goes, in those games, in that uh, 
in, in that game a Coutinho kind of popping up out of nowhere doing nothing for 80 minutes popping up out of nowhere and getting a goal would have won us those kind of games in the past yeah anyhow we'll leave Liverpool to the side because uh, I'm sure they'll give us more entertainment over the next few weeks I say that with a smile <laughs> uh, golf this man is back the best shot from the opening round of the Farmers Insurance Open comes from seven-time winner of this event, Tiger Woods, at the par 316th. A six-iron tracking, almost in for an ace. Another look, Tiger Woods shoots an opening round of 72. His reaction says it all. He thought it was in. Tiger Woods is back playing mm. golf again this weekend, and he's taken all the attention away from everyone else, which more than likely suits everyone else because there's no pressure on them. They're going out, they're playing their bit, and Tiger's taking it all on, on, on the shoulders. Yeah. Tiger Woods. When you say Tiger Woods, what do you think of? It's funny now, isn't it? You know, back in the... Had I said it 10 years ago, you would have said, you would have said something completely different. Yeah. He's tainted, isn't he? Yeah. So you just can't... I can't... You can't match the man, the personal stuff with no. the with the sport and achievement. I know he's had his injuries and all that kind of stuff, but I always kind of wondered how much of it was psychological. Yeah, like when it all came out and it really started, and the sponsor started to go, you kind of started to think, right, what is physical, what is mental here, and with him now at this stage, yeah, yeah. what feeds what. So I don't know. I don't like him as a person, but obviously he's a great golfer. Well, that's exactly yeah. it. And the thing is, is, I suppose it comes down to golf. And uh, I suppose the sport is golf. So we look at him in a sporting, a sporting view. He is probably one of the, if not the icon of, of, of the golfing world yeah. ever. Yeah. Right? Well, you have Jack Nicklaus and you have all, all the, the big guys. But he, he was huge. People are looking at him now and they're hoping that he can t- turn something around, sprinkle a bit of magic on, it, on, on the golfing world again, just to give it that little bit of excitement. Do you, do you watch golf and would Tiger Woods make you watch golf? No. No? No. Um, do I watch golf? Yes, yeah, sometimes. Like, I know he's won a lot of majors, he's won 14, but he was out for 12 months, so he's past his peak. So yeah. I don't know why, I, I, when you get your guest in, I'm curious to ask, what's the peak for a golfer in terms of, is it, you know, are, um, do you win more in your 20s, is yeah. it your late 20s? So, like, Tiger Woods is he's pushing on a little bit now for a golfer, I'd say, is he? Must he be in his... Is, sure, he, yeah, he's in his 20s, isn't he? Oh, no, he's in his 30s, late yeah. 30s. So, he's close to 40. Yeah, he's, I think he's, he's, everyone's hoping against hope mm. that he can be the old tiger and I think the thing is that you're, you're not an old tiger yeah. and it's going to be something that we'll develop with, with Gary later on when he comes in about the whole change and dynamic on the physical aspect of a, of a golfer yeah. what they look like how they prepare now and uh, I suppose injury problems yeah. exactly like Tiger Woods well, I remember had. I was listening to Harrington talk about how he prepares and all that and I couldn't believe the amount of work he does so it'll be interesting to hear we have another golfer and this I was just I was I was intrigued by this one we have another golfer do you know the Beef Johnson yeah I've heard of the name Beef Johnson okay Beef Johnson's a big character in, in the golfing world Andrew Beef Johnson he's talking about the frustrations in golf and uh, here's a little clip I've never been so angry on a golf course in my life and a few holes later I get round it's probably about my 13th hole and again, a big hazard down the left, same wind, oh, straight left in the hazard. No. And I kind of said to my caddy, I said, my ball's in there. I said, my club can go too. And I just held the club in there like that. So I finished out the hole and this, this guy come over and was like, he got in this like hazard. It was like swamp land. There's alligators in there. And he was like, I got your three words, sir. 
And I said, mate, I threw it to get rid of it. I said, you keep it like this. And he was really? like, you sure? I was like, yeah. And I turned around and I, I put my hand on a golf bag and I was like, oh, hang on, hang on. I was like, take the head cover as well because I was like, I don't need that either. Really? <laughs> and gave him the head cover. But it does happen. Yeah. I was really disappointed in myself that I did that. Yeah. But it's just pure emotion. Yeah. yeah. And you can't help it. It's sport. And I think sometimes that's what makes sport. <laughs> Have you ever done that, Jason? <laughs> Fired away the club into the water. It may not just be may not just be golf. <laughs> no, I, uh, no, I don't think so. I haven't done that. He looks like uh, just looking at his picture. He looks like it could be a Mumford and Sons. He could, Mumford and Sons. Yeah, are, yeah are, he's, got, he's a character. He's got a gigantic beard. Oh, huge. Yeah, huge. But he is. He's a he's a he's a larger than life character. So he's a. I know he's great. He's he's actually great for the game of golf. Yeah. And we were talking about this not so long ago. Golf. There is more characters starting to come back into golf. It makes it interesting when mm. you look at the snooker i always i always loved watching snooker yeah but it got very robotic and it's yeah. the same people who are very good at, uh, but have no character at all yeah. whatsoever so except for ronnie except for ronnie yeah he's the last he's of the, the dying the breed, yeah he's like he? the alex higgins kind of that's it okay i tell you what, we go for a break and we will talk to you after that And welcome back to Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. You're listening to The Big Kickoff. Roy Shanahan and Jason Collins here today. Again, 0870627138 and The Big Kickoff 96.4 at gmail.com. If you want to see, here's on, uh, what's it called, Jay? Instagram. Instagram. If you want to see us on Instagram, sorry. You do not. Uh, Facebook and Twitter is The Big Kickoff 1. Have a look out for us and see what you think. Now, we put this up on Twitter about, oh, I say it's about four weeks ago, four or five weeks ago, and I never got around to talking about it, and I've, I've wanted to talk about it for such a long time. It's a brilliant discussion with Frank Lampard and Chris Sutton take part in about the perils of youth football in England. It's probably not just England, it's probably everywhere. Everywhere. Um, and it's about how, I suppose, young players are being taken, given the dream of football, and I, I passed this on to you last night, Jay, to yeah. have, have, have a quick look at. What did you think, briefly, yeah. before, we have a, before we have a listen? I thought it was interesting. I thought it was the kind of discussion you wouldn't really see on any of the other football programmes. Yeah. Um, I thought it, they all had kind of interesting points. Having an author on, it lent it a little bit of a, a kind of a heavyweight kind of credence to it. But the, in fairness, Lampard was really into it. He was into it, and he's seen it all before. So, yeah. and as he said, he, even before he was playing football, he grew up in football. Mm. So he's seen a whole lot of that before. I'll tell you what we we'll do: we'll play the discussion, and then we'll talk about it after. Um, so Mike is with us because there's a, a really interesting documentary going to be on BT Sport tomorrow evening, Sunday evening at 6.30, called No Hunger in Paradise. And it is the documentary about the fascinating book that, that Mike wrote and investigated about youth football in this country. Um, I watched it and I thought it was fascinating. And I, I, I sort of finished it by thinking, well, you highlighted some really serious issues with youth development in this country. But at the same time, we're winning World Cups at youth level. So is our youth system in in this country in good health or not? I think if you look at it, what I tried to do was investigate the power of the dream, and the dream is embodied 
by the success, unprecedented success at international level that yeah. we've had this summer, but also the price of the dream. You know, the success rate is 0.012%. So what happens to the rest of the boys? And that was, you know, are these, uh, they're, they're commodities in many ways. I was inter interested in, in the way that parents dealt with their own sense of responsibilities in that. Uh, how clubs, you know, use the system for their own ends. How an industry has basically taken over innocence. And I, I, that was the thing that I wanted to look at. In overall terms, if you look at them technically, you know, you've seen them at, at, at Chelsea, Frank, in terms of the technical ability now of the young players, it's improved immeasurably over the last three to four years. But what I also wanted to do was just look at what, let's look at what happens when the dream mm. dissolves. Parents was the, the big takeaway for you from watching the I did, I watched it as well and I, I took away parents because <clears throat> my nephew plays. And I'm fortunate because I came from a footballing background, so mm. I grew up kind of aware of stuff. But I think parents now, from what I know at Chelsea, it's not the same across the board, but they're very made very aware of the pitfalls for their sons, whether they're 8 or 12 or 14. The probability is they won't make it. Mm. And then I think the parents seem to me to take on this kind of different sense of, of, of normality where all of a sudden my boy's going to be a superstar and then they wonder and, they, and they're, com they're complaining when the boys have been let go by the clubs and I agree the clubs do have a duty of care but they're also clambering for this massive contract for their, mm. for their boy and then they cry their eyes out when their boy is let down and goes down a different path and I just think that parents have to go calm down everything go and play football at your club Educate yourself, work hard at school, play another sport, have another interest. And then if it all does come, the 99.7% or whatever it is, they have a, a backdrop. And, and I saw it and I thought, uh, Kieran, was it Kieran Bywater? Kieran Bywater, West Ham, yeah. At the end of the, of the, of the documentary speaks brilliantly because he's actually gone through this whole process. And at the end of it, he goes, if I could go back, I would have done all these things to broaden it and I wouldn't have maybe have had the, mm. the virtual breakdown he seemed to have. Academy football is a brilliant people-watching business. Because you, know, you can actually get among the parents and you just ear, earwig them, yeah. listen to them, and you, you see the envy, you hear the fear, and there's, there's, a, there's huge competitiveness between the parents, and there's a lot of bitchiness. Mm. And as you said, Frank, there's a lack of perspective. We're talking about young boys here. And the other thing I think we need to be aware of is that it's getting younger. There's a race to the bottom. You know, we've, we've seen examples of clubs approaching boys of three years old, yeah. which is insane. Yeah. Uh, you look around, say, in the northwest, which is a huge area, there are five and six-year-olds who are at Manchester United one night, Manchester City the next, Everton the next, Liverpool the next. These kids have been taken out of their schools. They're eating in the back of the cars. They're six years old. They're children. That's where I think the duty of care comes in. It's too early. And as in the film, you know, Gareth Southgate does say that you, you are too, you're going in too early on this. Six, seven, you, can't, you can't tell a player at seven years old. Let's, let, it, it destroys cool. childhoods. Yeah. I, I mean, it does. You know, we always hear the success stories. Mm. Uh, but, but, you know, if, if you're in the system from three to 16, you get rejected at 16. You know, you, you think it's going to be a natural progression, the parents do, mm. and then you get released, your whole world falls apart. Well, this is what Gareth had to say, actually. He features in the documentary. Here's, here's a clip. What I would say is that I think we take them too young. I don't see how anybody can take a seven- or eight-year-old kid into an academy and realistically have a conversation with them or their family that talks about being a professional at the end, because, for me, impossible. They, they might be a talent, but 
that is a that is a, some journey you've got to go on. I worry that kids are signed up too early and and that the dream is there at, at, at an age where it's impossible for anybody to know what's going to happen. So is this an issue of a lack of regulation? Because if you're Chelsea and you're competing against Man United, you're competing against Man City, you're competing against Liverpool, competing against Arsenal, and you're finding the best six or seven year olds, naturally you go. Look for the best four or five year olds. Look for the best three, and it's, it's going to get lower and lower. As you say, it's a race to the bottom. And if it's, I think someone said in your documentary, if this was a hedge fund business mm. and they were exploiting and grooming children for profit, which is exactly what's happening, then the regulation would be unbelievable. So where where, where is the regulation for someone to step in and say, actually, it's not healthy. It's not healthy for a four, three, four, five-year-old to be taken into an academy. I think it's an under-regulated world. And you see this, you know, you, you, you hear anecdotally of agents arranging transfers between academies for 12-year-olds. You hear of 14, 13, 14-year-olds. There was one in particular offered a professional contract guaranteed to kick in when he's 17 at £45,000 a week. So if you're projecting that lifestyle, those riches, on a young boy, it would fry his brains. It would fry my brains uh, as an adult. So what are we doing with our kids in, in that sense? Are we selling them the dream, which ultimately, for most of them, will be an impossible dream? I, I go back to the parents, and I might bore you, but I just do think that they have an awareness and a perspective. I think from Chelsea, which I know very well, and Arsenal, which I know from my nephew, they get looked after brilliantly. I think it's a fantastic childhood. You get a chance to play football, you get an opportunity, their boots are clean, the pitches are pristine, the coaches are telling them the right messages. They get counsellors, they get support, they get backup. I think as a parent, support. Take your boy there, brilliant, and people do this all the time, drive them around the motorway, take them there, and then let the clubs do all them, but give them the idea that maybe every day, you might not make it, son. You have to educate yourself, do all these things, and then you give a backdrop, rather than they're pushing their, their boys down the route. And then, what and about then the support explosion. mechanism when they get released, though? No, I, I agree there should be a support mechanism, but it's, you know, it, the, the clubs then have to move on. That is the nature of it. It's like you leave university, you don't go and get a job. I can't go back to university and say, well, can you, you know, it was your fault. Uh, you have to be aware that I'm in the big wide world now. I feel like it's, a, you know, I agree. But, it, but, but, it, but it's hard when you're 12 and 13, isn't it? And you're with a club all those years, and all of a sudden you get rejected. And there doesn't seem to be that support mechanism. Mm. There, is, there, is, there is an element of, of premature professionalism here, where you've got boys from the age of nine almost encouraged, maybe subliminally, to actually think, this is my job. Mm. I, I, mm. I talked to Sean Dyche about it recently, yes. and Sean was saying, sometimes you think, you know, you, you'll see a boy at 16 to 18, and he's almost a husk, because he's been through it all, he's yeah. been through the pressure, and it's overwhelmed him. Whereas if that same boy had a more normal childhood, multi-sport backgrounds maybe, mm. better education or a longer education, those sort of players now are finding themselves at 18 to 20 in non-league football. They're the ones who bounce back. They're the ones who get to a pro club and think, I want this, mm. I need this. And it's a completely different mindset. It's just, it's just incredibly competitive, isn't it? I mean, mm. It, it's dominated now by the top clubs. It's very difficult for a team like Norwich to compete because if Norwich go out and find a great six-year-old, will you be guaranteed that Chelsea or someone else will be sniffing around, seeing what goes on, and off they go? Brentford, Huddersfield, close in their academies. It said in your documentary, there's more Manchester City scouts in Huddersfield than there were Huddersfield but scouts. It, it, so seem, it seems like you have to be all in now. Where years ago when I first started, you, you played a variety of sports and find your way. Now it's you know six years old and you have to dedicate your, your life to a football club. You can't 
can't play with your mates at school. That's wrong. That can't be right. I think as a parent, don't, don't get too excited. Support your son. Mm. And, you know, like everyone's watching YouTube and the skills and what's being made. Actually, get them to watch this documentary. Get them yeah. to listen to an interview with Stephen Gerrard who's speaking about it on the documentary. And, all, and actually show them that side. Just level it down a little bit and then, and then let them be. It's, it's a fascinating documentary and I wish we could have another half an hour to talk about it. Sadly, we haven't. Um, but I just think, I do wonder whether winning these tournaments recently is going to change things. I wonder whether these young players are finally going to get more trust from coaches, more time from their parents to, get, you know, to be who they want to be. But uh, it's absolutely worth watching. You can see it Sunday evening, 6.30 here on BT Sport 2. On BT Sport 2. Jason, we, we looked at that, we listened to it. What stood out for you most? Um, a few things. The the percentage of kids who actually make it through what was it zero point zero three percent? Yeah, which which is crazy, really, considering the amount of kids involved. That they're tapping up parents, going to parents of kids who are th- three years old. Yeah, it's bananas. It's ridiculous it? to say that a three year old can progress another. 15 years that they're going to be a professional footballer it doesn't it doesn't make sense at all even for a 12 or 13 no. year old there's so much developing that the body has to do first before it can you can actually say that this child is going to be a good footballer yeah you know? absolutely the other thing stood out obviously pushy parents oh, pushy. now I see it as well like sure my, my son he's 8 years old you know he's playing you can even see it at that level and uh, it's not really it's not very he's not a competitive kind of stage but you can even see it there you know so I can imagine what it's like over with all of the over in the UK with the Premier League teams and with all of the other league teams the pressure must be nuts over there but see this is it and there's people who are driving their kid maybe an hour or so down to the academy to get them to play and they're visualising that their son's going to be a pro footballer so already there's a little bit of pressure because he's wearing a, I don't know, an Arsenal top or a Manchester United top or, you know, oh, you're in the academy, you're going to be a footballer. Yeah. And even without maybe thinking about it, that kind of pressure is building around that pressure. So if he does fail, then his world starts to crumble and they're all going, oh, you didn't make it, you know. No, you know what yeah. people can be, you know. Yeah. Especially kids at that age can uh, resent uh, other kids. So it's madness that at seven eight even nine years of age that you can go to academy and it probably needs to be a thing where they just cut that out and say yeah. listen you can, you've got to stop doing that you have local kids in your area and say come on up we're doing a, a camp this is what they called not academies they're camps come yeah. in play we'll help you and then at a certain age maybe it's 15 or so that right you have a possibility of doing it but as i was saying to you just off air there there is that talk that a footballer's peak can be 10 years. So whatever age you start, I suppose, really coming on the scene, that 10-year gap then. So if you're 19, it could be 19 to 29, and then either side of that, you haven't made it, uh, you haven't come to your, your, your fulfilment, and then at the, at the end of it, you're sort of drifting away. We've seen it with Wayne Rooney playing 16, hits 27 or 28, and he just he gets that little bit of a fade away then because he's been in the game so yeah, long, yeah. and it must take it out of you, you know? Absolutely. Um, and the other thing I was kind of thinking, just on the whole kind of burnout thing and where it leaves, like the, the guy is very interesting, but I'd love to see a kind of report into, like, oh, we look, we, we, um, we kind of surveyed 100 kids, 100 teenagers who did didn't make it and what happened to them over the next 10 years so from the from the bit they were dropped okay yeah. to what happened in the next 10 years because i know no name and any uh, any names or anything i know at least of two uh, one guy became uh, addicted to gambling another guy became addicted to drink 
Right. And they were both uh, they were both kind of let go with their teams, kind of in their mid to kind of late teens. So it's just it's, it's, there's no care. It seems like you know, yeah. and it does seem like kind of exploitation exploitation by the parents who are living uh, vicariously to their kids yeah. just to fill their own dreams, which is really shallow, isn't it? It is different as well for Irish players because Irish players have to go away they leave mm. their family so it's a, it's a tough thing for them to go over and then when they come back there's been a lot of talk about them how they're going to make it they're over at Celtic or More they're pressure. over at Liverpool or whoever it is yeah. and then if they don't make it they come back and it seems that they're a failure Yeah. when you can't look at it as being a failure it's an experience you've, you've, you've done well to be there there may yeah. be a future in some sort of football but and yeah. they should be teed up like that look they sh- their parents should be saying that everybody should be saying look it's great that you're going over but really out of 100 kids there might only be one of you so you've got to expect that you're not going to be the one yeah. but they don't though do they yeah. the parents think like the guy said in the interview the parents believe their kid will be that one out of the 100 who will get through yeah. and but they're not we've seen it down in Shamrock Rovers myself and Dave have gone down to see a couple of games with the under 17s under 19s 19s I think we were down and the parents on the sideline they're all they all feel you can hear in the chitter chatter they can all feel that their kid is going to play for Shamrock Rovers now Shamrock Rovers is a full time team now in, in, in the League of Ireland but they feel that this their son is on the path to professional football you can hear it in what they're talking about what they're discussing the chances is that out of a squad of 16 there one or two may get into that team and the mm. others are gone yeah how do they deal with that how do kids deal with that not just from Shamrock Rovers but they go away how do they deal with that some of them go out of football altogether which is a shame you know because yeah. it's such a, a good thing to keep you on the straight and narrow as well all sports are anyhow we'll have that discussion again sometime we might actually because I had thought about this before we might actually get people in who have had that experience have gone away and and how it's dealt with them we will look at that in the future that'll be actually really interesting Uh, Roy, can't be a bit classic 80s, Tears for Fears, that's Head Over Heels, and uh, you might have heard that, it's been in a million, like a Netflix series around at the moment, you know, it's 13 Reasons Why, Stranger Things, all of those things. I haven't heard that song in a long, long time, it's it's just, that's what I was saying to you, just again, off air, some songs you just completely forget about, it gets lost yeah. in, in the minefield of, of songs. But well, yeah, I, tell you why song. I, I tell you why I remember that, I just went into the local CD shop, uh, before it closed, the one up in Liffey Valley, and um, bought that CD, like €8. Euro. When was that? Uh, before Christmas, you oh, know that okay. head, the head, yeah, it's closed. closed. Yeah, it's closed, oh, yeah. God. That's the last one. Yeah, yeah, but last thing I'll tell you about the band, they're going to be playing a Greatest Hits tour in the Tree Arena in May. Brilliant. So if you like the song. And Eels were on earlier on. They have a gig too, don't they? Yeah, they're playing the Ivy Gardens in July. So that could be a good one. If it's, imagine a bit of sunny weather. Perfect. A few beverages. Perfect. Perfect. It's a great spot. Absolutely. I only found that spot about five, six years ago for comedy. To do comedy gigs that's inside right, yeah, there. That's right, that's right, the uh, It's brilliant. Absolutely. The layout is brilliant. The, the, the lineup is brilliant. So, yeah, well worth it. So go and see the Eels. You might see me there. <laughs> Transfers. You had a. I didn't know this, and I seen Sky, Sky Sports have it up straight away. You heard a rumor, and it's, it seems to be uh, gathering some momentum about yeah. Aiden Hazard. Paul Merson, the Oracle of Information, that is Paul Merson, turned around and said that he's uh, 99% sure that Hazard is going to leave Chelsea and uh, that a bid is going to happen from City for 150 million. 
but now like you can't not believe look it sounds it, it crazy sounds but, mad. but then again if Coutinho can go for 100 and whatever 140 Arsenal let Sanchez go to United I can't, I can't understand I can understand why they wanted to get they were getting a good replacement in McTarian yeah. in fairness so maybe it makes sense for them but to let your best player go to a rival in the league and when you don't need to sell them to a rival in the league because yeah. you're not desperate for money because there's so much money in it it just doesn't make sense to me I can understand if, if Real Madrid who who are probably desperate now to, they are. to start selling play, or to buy in players because yeah, fourth place Bale, Benzema and Ronaldo aren't quite doing it as you no. said four, four place two, po- two points behind Fort yeah it? yeah, two points behind Fort but, no they beat Valencia last mm. night um, 4-1 as you said two, two panels yeah but they, they're looking for players they're talking about Lemondowski. they're talking uh, about Hazard and oh, someone else I can't think who the other person was but they're going to splash out they have to yeah yeah it's, it's a terrible season for them yeah so I think Man City will have a, a rival they will they will yeah. when, it com- when it comes to and don't forget about PSG like if they always pop up if there's a big player going or if they can sniff around it wouldn't surprise me if Ronaldo leaves in the summer and goes to PSG yeah it'll make uh, PSG a whole load of money mm. I don't know if Ronaldo will perform but if they have him for a year and he does something decent great I mean it's the French League there's a slight yeah. inferior uh, standard in, in France so they're not playing the the Swansea's in the West yeah. Brom <laughs> <laughs> you don't think Mourinho would uh, have a good chance of getting Ronaldo I don't think he'd want them really I, I, I'm fairly sure that I don't think he'd want them. He's 33 years of age mm. now. He's he has Lukaku in there. He has. But he wouldn't Sanchez see him as an there. Abramovich uh, kind of replacement down the line, like you know, Ibrahimovic. Yeah, even. Um, I don't think so because I don't think he has much legs left in him. Albeit he's, a, he's still a really really good player. Yeah. But I don't think they would have to buy him for big money because they're not going to let them let him go no. unless it's big money. Yeah. And do Manchester United want to spend? Tur- you know, huge money on a thirty-three-year-old, yeah, nearly thirty-four-year-old. I just, I just don't see it. And well, Ronaldo says he wants to stay at Madrid because he loves the club <laughs> and the city. It is a great city, and the te- like the temperature and all that. You know, it would it, suit. It was his dream move. Yeah. So why would he want to go anywhere else? Would you want? Would you want to go back to Manchester? <laughs> <laughs> Drizzle. Today's weather. I wouldn't want to go to Manchester if it was sunny. <laughs> uh, another another deal that I was looking at there, Brighton. I don't know if you know. Uh, Jua from Leicester has a oh, yes. he has a Premier League medal of course because Leicester won the league and made everything a lot more exciting in the Premier League and he's been in and out trying to get away from Leicester for a while and I think he went on strike a little bit for a while yeah he got a new contract see the striker guy striker big the Argentinian guy yes he, yes I know him yeah doesn't look hard he looks doesn't yeah. look ungainly kind of striker no he has he has a probably an Argentinian slick back hair do I don't know maybe that's a bit of a, a generalisation yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Brighton are looking for him they've been looking for a striker for a while and it'd be interesting to see uh, how he gets on you look at I mean strikers it's the toughest spot to get you know a, a mm. quality if you have a, a striker look Jermaine Defoe for years yeah. he went that's why Borma took him on he just puts the ball away he kept he kept Sunderland up single-handedly um, you, you need a striker now Jua isn't he's not a, not an a goal out. a game man yeah, no. you know but he, he has his pluses you know yeah. so. he might just fit the right budget like let's be honest if you got 10 million euro you're not going to be able to get a 20 goal season man you might get a 8 or 9 goal and then that might just be enough to keep you exactly 
We had rumours Chelsea Chelsea are looking for a striker mm. And we've had rumours of Peter Crouch Yeah Andy Carroll Yeah Bizarre What's going on? Well, the, the fact that they're actually looking for a certain type of player Who is tall And Does this signify a longer ball game? Does mm. signify that they want to get into a, a striker early and build off him? Yeah. I do know that that's the way he has played anyhow So that, the fact maybe that they're I mean, they got Murata in. I think he had a couple of knocks. He's been in and out of the team, so yeah. it hasn't quite worked. He's I thought he was electric at the start, and then he went off the ball. But like that's it. I think he got a couple of knocks and then came back in and hasn't been as prolific as he was. But then I think Eden Jekyll, they were talking about him, another tall centre forward, good finisher. So right, that, that sounds more like it. He's yeah. more clinical. I mean, Peter Crouch has, has done a great job in, in the Premiership. Andy Carroll, injury. <clears throat> no, oh, totally. You can't. You just have to rule him out. Yeah. From you can't include. You can't seriously consider buying Andy Carroll. Yeah, Andy, Car- Andy Carroll nearly took over the Darren Anderton <laughs> sick note uh, <laughs> award. But now they're talking about Giroud from Arsenal. Okay, who is not getting in in the Arsenal team and actually would probably be a good fit for them. You know, he if, would be a good fit, and I think it would interest Giroud because again, he's not getting in there up front with Lacazette there. So yeah. Yeah, it might be interesting. And you know, Arsenal players, they don't mind moving over to they Chelsea don't. at all, do they? No. And you have to question that. We mm. talked about this last week. The management at Arsenal, not just Wenger, but the whole management of the club, people seem to be very easily persuaded to leave Arsenal. They do, yeah. You wonder why. You'd be pulling your hair out, wouldn't you, if you were an, Arsenal, an Arsenal fan? fan just like whatever, like we're talking about Liverpool being up and down, but so are Arsenal. Yeah. But it seems like there's, with Liverpool, it seems like there's, you know, there's a little bit of hope there. But if I, like losing Sanchez to United and then uh, all the other players who, you know, the likes of Fabregas going, I know he went through Barcelona and then ultimately came back to Chelsea, but us, you'd still be kind of worried, wouldn't you, if you were, if you were a Gunners fan? I'd be always worried if I was a Gunners fan because they're drifting into the a mid-table slot, which doesn't suit the club. Yeah, um, but Giroud would be. Well, I think he would because if if Morata isn't doing the job, yeah, Giroud will score you. You know, one and two, one and three, maybe. Yeah. But he'll he'll link up well. So I, I think I'd like Giroud. He's a, he's a decent player, and, and funny enough, maybe he should be playing Lacazette. They bought him for big money. Yeah. Maybe they think they have to play Lacazette because they, they've paid the money. Uh, for him you had a, 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 an interesting transfer that was in uh, Sligo yeah the ex-Liverpool player um, Adam Morgan isn't it that's correct so I remember him back in the day like uh, when he was kind of coming through and he was getting some first team games and uh, he didn't seem bad it seemed like you know but he's gone right down through the leagues and now he's in Sligo Sligo town yeah, yeah. so obviously it's a coup for them Fair play to him because he obviously wants to stay stay in football and he doesn't want to disappear out of it. But th- that's quite, kind of unprecedented to have that kind of a league-by-league league drop and then coming over the water. It's an interesting one because, and I'm struggling here to yeah. remember the name, yeah. but they have just signed a Brazilian player, uh, Sligo as well, who has played with Corinthians and for the last... He's been throughout Europe and for the last seven seasons he's been playing in Cyprus. I think he's 33 years of age but from what I've read about him and I'll find the name out again. Uh, it's poor for me, isn't it? I should know. <laughs> uh, but again, he is of quality. So there's something going on at yeah. Sligo. You know? yeah. And I think you get this every now and again. A team in the League of Ireland gather a couple of players and have a good season yeah. and then like Dundalk or whatever like Dund- but no Dundalk have done it for the last four or five have, years yeah. so in fairness to them and now out. they've been bought out yeah. like we, we discussed on, on last week's show so it's, it's, it's good to see that 
people are looking at the option of coming to Ireland, and that, that, that can no, be it good is. to get. Yeah, it can be good to get bums on seats <laughs> as well. So absolutely, I was at a Shamrock Rovers game before Christmas, and uh, it was quiet. I was I was surprised how quiet it was. So it would be, it would be good if something else was done to get bums and seats. Shamrock Rovers, and I'm glad you said Shamrock Rovers mm. because Shamrock Rovers. Did you, do you know Joey O'Brien? Yes, Joey O'Brien, West Ham United. Uh, fullback Irish international he's been with West Ham god how long has he been with them he must be with them about 8-9 years but he was their right full regular right full for years now he did come into some injury problems but he's after joining Shamrock Rovers this week and this could signify Shamrock Rovers have to do something in the league this year because they're after the publicity they're putting out there is Shamrock Rovers is the club to go to they have all the media stuff going on about you know football like for kids and go back to street football and they have this thing of they're bringing loads of youth players through the, the team and they've got the likes of Damien Duff and Stephen McPhail and you know in in the club so there's a lot of big things going on at Shamrock Rovers and there's a lot of big sounds coming out of Shamrock Rovers and now with Joey O'Brien coming in you're kind of saying right well they're getting a little bit of experience in there with the, with the thing they need to be pushing now for a place uh, you know challenging for the league at least and with the American owners coming in from for Dundalk yeah Everyone knows now that it's an easy route to go into the Champions League and get your money, whatever it is, 10, 12, 15 million euro. That's huge for a League of Ireland yeah, team absolutely, now. Yeah. So while it's always good for these teams to get these players in, there's a lot of pressure that goes on with it, you know. So, uh, yeah, no, it'll be interesting. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to take a song. Jason and yeah. I'll get you ready there to, to, to take to introduce the next song yeah. but just after the break we're going to have Gary O'Neill uh, Confessions of a Golf Addict and we're going to be talking to him what have we got Jason yeah so this is an American indie band they're from Brooklyn New York uh, they've been going since 2002 the name is Grizzly Bear they brought out an album last uh, I think October called Painted Runes and uh, really good bit psychedelic but this song is brilliant it's called Morning Sound Welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. Joining us in the studio is Gary O'Neill, who is a golf fitness trainer. His Facebook page, Confessions of a Golf Addict, has almost 40,000 golfing followers. And we have him in to talk about all things golf. Gary, welcome to the big kickoff. Thank you very much, Roy. Listen, Gary, tell us about your golfing background. When, I suppose, did it first catch your attention and when did you get hooked? Um, probably around about 1989 sometime around that time uh, used to watch the Masters on RT2 yep. back in the day you know the family would be in one room I'd be out in the other room sitting there watching my golf is it not a golfing family now? Uh, not really like probably more GA well back in the day anyway that my dad like my dad's from um, Kilkenny Carlow area so right. he would have been into his Gaelic but um, I did like it but you know it was more me, to be honest with you. So, what age is that that you, you start getting uh, ten. into it? Ten. I would have been ten. Uh, what lured you into it? What was, what was the attraction? I don't know. I just... 
just saw this golf course and I just was and this sport and I was just wowed by it like it was just the Masters you know golf back then wouldn't have been on TV that often no, no. you know let's be honest it was hardly ever on and um, you know it was kind of a luxury to get to watch it um, once maybe twice a year that in the open that was really it Yeah. and uh, I just watched it Nick Fallow back in the day Nick Fallow was the guy you yeah, know he yeah. was in the world, world number one Yeah. Um, so that's that's where it came from well of course I, I grew up probably probably similar ages I grew up around that time and it would have been Nick Fallow Woosnam at that stage who mm. my favourite was Bernard Langer I just don't know why it was just something about Bernard I liked this ice cool cold. calm ice cold calculated look oh, on his yeah. eye uh, brilliant golfer still a brilliant golfer as age now the Masters the Masters just grabs everyone's attention doesn't it there's something about it you there know is, what I mean? it's it? the aura about it like it's the only major that's on the same course every single year yeah. you know what I mean and it was built back in the day and it's even for the golfers even for the professional guys it's the one tournament they would love to be able to play year on year out yeah. because yeah. of what it is you know yeah and it's, it's you know, I know it's great now when you have the likes of, uh, it used to be Tiger Woods Golf and, and Rory McIlroy's Golf on, on the PlayStation and stuff like that. People mm. got to know a lot more courses, a lot more intimately. But because it was on the telly so much, Masters, Augusta, you know the ins and outs of nearly every hole. You know, oh, you everyone knows. So the fact that everyone knows the ins and outs of the hole doesn't make it any easier. No. It's, it's still such a challenging course. It's... I've been fortunate enough I was actually there the, last year last year I got to go last year and it's only when you're there that you realise how difficult a course it is yeah. like the rough let's be honest the rough isn't isn't as bad as a lot of courses like Torrey Pines is on right now yeah. um, and the rough is tough there but it's just the length the greens the greens are insane I've never seen greens like it in my life they are just insane. The undulations, the heights, the the angles that you got to come in from high to low or low to high, it's just bananas. One hole that fascinates me, it's down the Amen corner. It's not the part three. What's the one just before that? It's the 11th. The 11th. Four 11th. I love that hole. The yeah. re- I think it's the angle that you come in at the green. That It's such a challenging hole. You can, and especially when they have the, the flag at the back. Mm. Uh, it's such a challenging hole, whether to go for it or whether to play safe. Uh, were you down at that? Hole? I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. it's great that you get a chance to go. I was actually sitting, uh, like I, I went, I went around the whole course, but um, I was there on the Friday morning. I put my chair in behind, literally behind the twelfth hole, so you're actually able to see the guys hitting up from eleven. Yeah, and. Um, it is. It, it, there is that bailout area kind of towards the 12th uh, green because you've got the water, it's dead. Yeah. You know, going in that water, you're in trouble. And a lot of guys were going in the water. So um, that whole, just that whole area, just the buzz, the excitement, the anticipation down there was phenomenal. Yeah, a lot of them tend to hit wide right, don't they? Oh, they do, yeah. Keep, keep, keep it dry <laughs> keep and you're all right. Dry. <laughs> um, right, so golf courses, you've travelled the world playing, as you said, you've been over in Augusta. What's, what's the best courses you've played? <sighs> the best course I've probably played... I would say I actually played Torrey Pines. Oh, did you? I have played Torrey Pines. I played there five years ago, the day after my 33rd birthday. Well, it'll be six years now, nearly. And um, very, very hard. I have to say it was really hard. Right. If you go out and play, are you playing off the pro tour tees? No, no. A lot of places they won't allow you. Okay. Um, like, for example, like the... Torrey Pines this week is six, 7,600 odd yards like it's bananas how long it is to be honest yeah. with you um, so you're playing normally you're playing one or two up from that it just depends on the day they'll say look you can play off here or here yeah. and sometimes it's uh, handicap dependent as well right. um, so obviously higher handicap do you want to get the guys off further off or yeah. closer simply to make it a little bit easier I'd say that's probably that Bay I've, uh, again I've been fortunate enough to played a few courses around the world that Bay Hill or even PJ National down in Palm Beach now that ok so you said you played in Sawgrass is that I correct? did I Sawgrass. What's the 17th like? 17th is water. 17th is all 17th water. 17th is all water. I, I managed to hit the green, but I didn't manage to keep it on 
the green. Yeah. Um, uh, as, actually, as daunting as it seems. Would you believe you're thinking about it for a few holes beforehand? Right. You know, you're, you're, it's in your mind because I think it was going down, I can't remember what hole, maybe 14. You can actually see through the trees and you can actually see the, it, the whole setting of it. It's, it is phenomenal how it's set up. Because yeah. when I was there, it was pre-tournament. So they were getting it ready, getting all the, the hospitality up. And, you know, you're taking a little peek over and you're like, hmm, okay. But then you stand on the tee and you do. You actually, I don't really get nervous, but you but get you nervous. You got a little bit nervous. Yeah, so you can imagine now coming down and the, the last round, you're a shot behind or a shot ahead. Absolutely. And uh, the pressure that must be there for, uh, the, for look, the pros. As they, they always say, if there was no water on that hole, it'd be the simplest hole in golf because yeah. it's only 120 yards. I think we were playing about 129 today. Yeah. We played it, but generally speaking, 120 yards to 150 yards. It's an easy hole, yeah. but you just stick a load of water in. It's yeah, a hole. It's so psychological, game. isn't it? Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, now because it's the, the reason why we and I'm I love golf. I don't get to play enough because I put so much energy into football and maybe radio and stuff like that. So I don't get enough play enough golf, and I love to mm. uh, and I love the game. Uh, so the, the the most I've got to, to golf lately is again, as I said, maybe you, you play a bit on. PlayStation we used to play against my dad, but it used to be on years ago when the Mega Drive was out. Sega Mega Drive was <laughs> That's out a while ago. Yeah, PGA Tour Golf was on it, and we knew we knew that course inside out. And the seventeenth was as daunting then. I might say that pros wouldn't have even had the sweat coming out of them like we used to have then. Oh, yeah. But that part three, brilliant, brilliant all. Uh, what about worst scary odd golf courses? Um, links. I, I have to like. I wouldn't have been the biggest fan. Well, I don't mind it now because I'm better. But like when I first started off, I was playing off 23 handicap. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I wasn't a good golfer at all. Um, and I used not like links. Because you're offline a few yards and you are pretty much dead. And if you don't have a decent game, it's very hard. Like for amateur golfers, links golf is the ultimate test. Right. You know what I mean? Because, you know, that fescue grass, it doesn't matter how much there's run on those fairways. If you're off target, you're in that, you're hacking it out, it's not that easy. Um, so I would say definitely links golf was not my forte, even though I was a member of links golf for nearly two years. But yeah. Um, I, so how did you build yourself up from what was it twenty three twenty four down to what you know? Um, I'm back out to eight. I was down as low as six. Okay. Um, a lot of work. To be okay. honest with you, a lot of work, a lot of lessons, a lot of fitness work as well. Like you know, you, you got to work on your body just as much as you got to work on your your golf game. Okay. You know, um, practicing, hitting thousands of golf balls in the range, um, working on my short game, practicing my putting things like that yeah from the love of it it's, it's hardly it's, it's hardly a chore listen seven days a week no problem yeah yeah. <laughs> I hear a lot of people who play golf and they'll give out about their game they're like oh I'm not playing well and the next week they are playing well and there's a big huge inconsistency there and I played the four holes in the back nine that were brilliant but I can't understand why and it comes down to practice do you, do you practice do you go out and no I don't really have time and so it, it does come down to if, if you're not putting the time into it you're not going to improve absolutely Simple. like expectation over reality you know what I mean at the end of the day people, people go out and play golf weekly, week in week out and they will people will be religious they'll play golf every single week but the problem is their expectation of reality is skewed because they don't put any work in Monday through Saturday. Yeah. So, like, if you're playing every Sunday and you're not putting any kind of work in, it doesn't matter what your handicap is, but if you're not practicing, you, c you can't expect to be consistent and play well on a Sunday every week. There will be weeks where you'll, you'll have a little, you know, a green patch where you play great, sure. but it's impossible to play good. Like, And it's, it's like any walk of life. If you go into your job and you do nothing for six days and then do work one day a week, you're not going to advance your career because you're not doing any work. Yeah, and it's nearly a view of they view their game as what the, the best they've done and that's where they should be all the time. I'm able to do 
that way can't they keep it's like hitting on. a sixer on 180 yards and you expect to hit 180 yards every, every single, single time, time. Your, your country best and you can't do it so I suppose I'm guessing you're, you're the golf addict you're probably crapping in your pants with the excitement of looking at Tiger back, I, uh, back at golf this week is it a good thing or is, it, is he going to disappoint us I suppose with our own expectations of him it's hard to know um, sure you can just see it all over social media like just the Tiger lovers the Tiger haters you know the, you know, I'm, I am a huge Tiger fan like to be honest with you he would be probably my only sporting hero and I, uh, I've played a lot of sport and watched a lot of sport over the years but I love the, everything he does for golf taking away his personal life and everything he's outside of it it's his golf and what he's been able to do because I wasn't old enough to really appreciate Jack when he was around yeah um, it's hard to know like at the end of the day I've watched him the last three days his short game has been out of this world for the fact that he hasn't played in so long still trying to hit off the planet and still all over the place will it improve I can't see why not yeah Let's be honest, he was never the best driver of the ball anyway. No. You know what I mean? He was, all o- he was always all over the place. I think it was because his recovery was so unbelievable. His arm play and his, his arm play, his distances in the short game were off the charts. Yeah. So, look, if he can stay pain-free, my hope for him would be stay pain-free for the next eight to ten years, finish off his career. There's no reason why he can't win. There's absolutely no, looking at how he's done now, there's no reason why he can't win again. Like, he's gone back and he's playing Tory Points, one of the hardest courses on tour by a mile, and he's playing... You know he's competing. Yeah. You know he's three hundred. Three hundred. He's three hundred. He finished. He finished. He two hundred yesterday. Um, but look, he had a six footer for a birdie on the last. Didn't quite make it. So he's competing. He's still in the game. Mm. And basically his first real competitive uh, game back in. So you ha- you have to take that rustiness off. As he's actually said himself in his first interview, he has that rustiness there that you can feel. But uh, you have to get the feel of of the club. It's again. all about the feels. Like his his body's changed. You know with that fusion in his lumbar lower back lumbar spine. Like his his body's changed. He can't do what he used to be able to do that's exactly what I was going to ask you is there a difference in his game now um, it's hard to know to be honest with you like he uh, obviously he's going to lose some flexibility but like he's still swinging it like like watching him day one obviously the adrenaline going he was swinging at it like over 120 mile an hour uh, club head speed that's re- like you get very 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 few amateurs that will ever even entertain that club head speed yeah. and this guy's had a, you know all the injuries he's had all the surgeries he's had the recent one the spinal fusion and he's still swinging it at that speed it's pretty it's, insane. Yeah, yeah. Your job, yes. golf fitness trainer. Yes. What does it entail? Describe what you do and how you help golfers who will seek you out. Yeah, so I've been in the fitness industry over 21 years. Um, in terms of the golf fitness side of things, I've been doing that for roughly 15 to 17 years. And what I do is I'll take a golfer, bring him into my uh, personal training studio, and I'll, I'll do a functional movement screen. So I'll basically do a screen. I'll screen certain pretty much all different parts of the body to see how their body's moving uh, in relation to the golf game. Yeah. So, like, you know, there's various different screens will show up different problems within their swing mechanics and within their game because at the end of the day golf club is only an extension of your body yeah. you know what I mean it's attached to your hand which is attached to the body so if, you're, if you've got muscular imbalances within your body you're going to have issues with swinging the, cl- the club consistently you know what I mean that's not to say you can't play good golf but it's again it's all about consistency so what I'll do is I'll bring somebody in screen them there's about 12, 12 13 screens that I do then I'll give them back the results and say, look, this is where you're at. This is where we need to get you to. And then I'll program out a, a workout for six weeks and bring them back in, rescreen them and go again. And just keep getting them. What we're trying to do is we're trying to get their body mo- working and moving efficiently enough so that they can play consistent golf. Yeah, yeah. So is your, is your 
are you looking at just the mechanics and then if there is something more than mechanics so if it is actually a, a, a problem so I don't know maybe tight muscles or something that flexibility that they need to do do you help them out or do you guide them somewhere to help them out no that's what I do that's, that's yeah. exactly Purely what you do everything physical as well like unless it's an injury that's beyond my realm of uh, experience or training uh, which tends to be that's the case because that's not what I'm trying I'm not physio I'm not a physical therapist yeah. I'm, I'm a personal trainer I'm a fitness trainer um, I'll work on mobility stability balance uh, power strength core that's so all the facets of the golf game so what you hear about the guys doing on tour yeah. that's basically what I do great okay well listen the courses club heads I suppose the paychecks are bigger but the most obvious change to pro golf is the way that the players look mm. right so it's a very it's, I suppose it's a very ge- generic look now they're all muscle they're all very toned and slim athletic you know so what's there's a bit of a, a debate it's, it's a gym debate Pe- some people are saying that people going to the gym golfers going to the gym especially the pro golfers uh, sometimes I suppose it's leading to injuries and, and problems what's your side on, on, on the gym debate is, is, it, is there too much in it is there you know should, should there be less what, what do you think my opinion is there shouldn't really be a debate to be okay. honest with you yes you can build yourself up you can get injured but sure you can get injured walking across the road you know guys were get, having back injuries and injuries back 30, 40, 50 years ago but because now the guys are doing more fitness training they're looking after the bodies it's being brought to the fore it's because it's they're doing something that wasn't you know universally done back in the day but if you look at for example Freddie Couples Freddie Couples' back is is just in such a bad way Mm. but like he wouldn't have been doing the weightlifting that the guys are doing today The, the reason why the guys they do lift but that's to protect themselves if you're swinging a club at 120 mile an hour 115 to 125 mile an hour multiple times hundreds of times thousands of times per week you need to protect that body you need to make yourself more flexible stable balanced and stronger you know if you don't do that you will get injured you have more chance of being injured than you wouldn't be if you didn't do anything is there a case that I suppose former champions take Tiger Woods for example uh, David Duval those type of players and even recently I suppose Jason Day and Rory McIlroy that the way they've gone about going into the, the weights the way they've maybe they've gone too heavy too soon that it's challenged their game then and the slump has come about because of it um, no I wouldn't say that look these guys have trainers the trainers know what they're doing hmm. there's no way a trainer with any kind of experience and these guys would have the best of the best let's be honest they're not going to have a trainer who's going to make them do something they can't do before they can do it for example you wouldn't get a person who's never trained before in their life uh, say get up and run five miles yeah, because they're not going to be able to do it. Your body can physically not do that, so they wouldn't. They, it just wouldn't happen. Like it'd be very, you know, negligent of a trainer to ever do that to anybody yeah. in the first place. It's look, people will get injured no matter what you do. Again, it, you can relate it back to the training, but is it that they're swinging the club so hard? so many times per day per week per month that is aggravating something that could be there yeah you know so uh, there will be people let's be honest there will be people saying oh it's the training but like without the training they wouldn't be able to swing the club head the way they are they wouldn't yeah. be able to hit the ball as far as they want but they wouldn't be aesthetically in the shape that they're in right now yeah again with that golf is about feel isn't it so if, you, if you're with a club a lot of it is, and, and I know the power thing it's people are hitting it longer now they have to hit it longer because it, it's a competition and as you said there's more force so it's, it's, there's more I suppose pressure on the body and you do need to be able to maintain it is the case though that when it comes down to it yes power is great but your short game the feel of a golf club is still always be there the feel will never change but if you look at it of course they're getting longer hmm. the guys who are longer tend to win most 
at the end of the day, and as my uh, my uh, swing coach has always said, the closer you can get to the green, the better you're going to score. So, like, why would you want to be like, for example, like if you have a par four that's four hundred? There's, I think there's three or four par fours in Tory Pines this week that are like four hundred and eighty yards. Yeah, They're par fives for amateurs. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. So, like, if you're if you're only hitting at say two eighty, you've two hundred yards every time. If you're hitting at three thirty. All of a sudden, you've only got 150. Yeah. Why would you not want to have like a wedge nine iron in your hand rather than like a, a four to six iron, depending on the golfer? Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's get a closer, score well, or don't get a closer and score harder. Yeah. You know. So you got to look at the balance of that. So, you know, it's like any sport. Like you could say about footballers, why do they do so many sprints in their training? Yeah. You know, hamstring injuries are prevalent in that sport. You know, you can look at other sports. So to say that the the training is the root cause of the injuries. I don't, I don't agree with that one bit because I know what goes into what they have to do. I know anatomy, physiology. So you look at it then, it's like any other sport. It's gone a bit more professional as in looking after yourself uh, and you're going to, with that, you're, go- you're going to get an injury or two and with the, I suppose, with the calendar, is, is, is there a lot of pressure on them with the calendar? Calendar nearly goes all year round. The best of the best now. The, okay. the guys in the top, the they top, pick and choose. The pick and choose. They they have a schedule. They what they want to do is they want to peak for the big tournaments. Yeah. Simple as they'll pick a schedule that gets them obviously to peak for the four majors, the the players uh, TPC at Tallgrass, the players championship, and then the WGCs because top fifty in the world can only really play yeah. all them. Uh, then after that, then they'll pick schedules to work on. The guys who are lower down who are say fighting for the cards around one twenty five on. Um, that can be difficult because you're going to have to play more tournaments. Yeah, you know, so it's it's hard to say, but like it really just depends. Okay, right. Well, we're going to go to a break, and we'll be back with Gary straight after. You're listening to Liffy Sound on ninety six point four FM, and welcome back to the big kickoff. We have Gary O'Neill in with us today. Gary, uh, I suppose we we'll talk about, I suppose, sports in this country. A lot of sports we talk about failing in them because we haven't got the facilities to develop players and, you know, in the relative sports. But it can't really be said about golf. We're blessed with amazing golf courses. So should we really be producing more major winners? It's all relative. You, you gotta, we have a small population. Yeah. At the end of the day, like we, we, we do, we're punching above our weight. We? No, I personally think, yes, it'd be nice to see more guys on tour, but you've you got to look at it this way. They're the best of the best of the best. They're the top 1%. You know what I mean? And we have had, over the last many decades, guys up there winning majors, winning multiple tournaments per year mm. against the world. You know, you got to look at it. That's the way I always look at it. Yes, we can be insular and think, oh, yeah, Ireland should have more better players. You know, we have lots of golf courses. You have, seven to- you have 7.2 billion people in the planet. Yeah. You know what I mean? We have north and south. We have had major winners pretty much every decade for the last number of decades. So I think, uh, yes, you could say it'd be nice to have more guys on, on the main tour. On the tour. On the main tour. But you've also got, like, the Challenge Tours, the, the Euro Pro Tours, and the, the various tours around the world that would be, you know, one or two steps down. Um, but getting them, it's not easy. Like I've seen it, you know. I've seen guys trying to get on tour. I've trained guys that are trying to get on tour. It is exceptionally hard. Yeah. You know these guys. I, I read a statistic there, some stage last year that if you want to get on tour, you want to be having a plus three handicap. If yeah. you want to make money on tour, you want to be about plus six. Yeah. So think about it. Your club, ha- your your local club is pl- uh, um, it's par seventy one. You're go- you're having to shoot seventy five or sixty five. Yeah. When you're playing it, yeah. to shoot level par, level par, yeah, you know. So you think, what, 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 like, say in your golf club, how many juveniles would you have in, in your in your golf club? We've loads, um, fifty. 
200 I'd say okay. somewhere and around that mark we've, and we've had a lot of a lot of influx we've, we've done a lot I see the guys they're doing a lot of work to get the guys the children in which is great coaching what, what coaching is, coaching from the third so what way I know from a football process. football process what way the coaching works throughout a football thing that takes many years going through different levels and you know there's different aspects of the game that you have to develop at certain times what way does the coaching sort of structure works in, in the golf I, I'm not going to say I know 100% how it works because I don't and I'd be lying if I said I did but I do know Jeff who's the main uh, pro down there he would organise uh, workshops with the juniors a lot like for example I was down getting a lesson off my swing coach Ty uh, Ty Carrington from Harrington Golf and Jeff was down there with I'd say about 10 juniors somewhere in the region of say 10 to 12 years of age and they're working on short game you know and uh, they're, they're consistently down there in fact Ty uh, my swing coach is actually uh, donated and sponsored the junior golf in the club this year yeah. um, and you know at the end of the day the only way forward for any sport is get it at grassroots get it at the kids get them involved get them addicted like me yeah. and let's hope they play for the rest of their lives is there more distractions now than there was when we were younger that 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 it's very easy not to have the the focus and love of the sport as much as or is that just to us having looking at rose tinted glasses <laughs> at our past well no I, I'll be honest a big thing I've seen over the last 10, 20 years, not enough kids out playing sport. Yeah. Not enough kids at home, whatever they're doing at home, whether it be on computer games or just not playing sport, social media, massive problem, I see it. I, I, I often go up to my father, he only lives a few minutes from me. We've lots of green area. We used to be out playing sport morning till night, every day of the week. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, no, I remember I drove up there last summer and I was shocked to see no, I mean, no kids out. Now, obviously, it's a lot more mature area, but there's still families out there, lots of families. So I'd say it's not just other sports that would take from golf, it's the fact that kids aren't playing as much sport. Yeah. And with social media and computer games and, you know, the way technology has gone, it's taking kids away. So it is up to us uh, as trainers, as coaches, um, including schools, is to promote sport. Because at the end of the day, the fitter and healthier, the longer you leave, the longer life you're going to leave. Yeah. And I, we actually had this a little bit of this discussion before schools have such a big role to play <clears throat> and when you look at schools who have Monday to Friday they have two sessions of PE for maybe an hour 45 minutes it's surely not enough it's getting short to, to work at your dynamics uh, and let your body develop and you know flexibility and the whole lot and you do see a lot more kids who are just not able for it who are puffing and panting and you know too easy too quickly and I think I think schools and the government and all have to start to look at it and go we have to have religion five days a week why aren't they, why isn't your physical you know development an important feature yeah look the religion and schools and things is a different conversation for a different day I suppose but like the biggest problem I see is definitely um, and like I'm not going to blame the schools themselves it's definitely whatever's coming from the top yeah. but like kids have bundles of energy they need to be moving they need to be moving 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 having them sat down at desks all day every day is insane in my opinion especially younger kids <coughs> they should be up doing physical activities where they're you know using, using their motor skills building coordination building their, their bodies for later life rather than sitting at a desk multiple hours a day whether it be you know you know baby school or secondary school or you know whatever it is and all they do is seem to sit down and if they're lucky they don't like I see schools they're barely getting 20 minutes a week yeah, now yeah. you know 20 minutes a week of physical activity is insane for a child and I think it's not on and it should be changed big time that I've, that's my biggest gripe in society today this is the perfect moment to bring on our big three cards just as you're getting incensed <laughs> <laughs> right so we as you know we, we give out a big three it's lately in the last month or so we've given out the big three cards as such 
and we have asked Gary to first of all, I suppose under the skin, under my skin card, we'll continue on your rant. Uh, what gets under your skin in whatever sport it is that you've decided? Well, it just happens to be golf. The <laughs> one thing that gets well, actually, you could say about three or four, but this one thing really gripes me, and that's not being able to fix spike marks on greens. <sighs> there is nothing worth. Now, I do, I do believe it. I'm pretty sure that rule is changing next year. Um, I will double check it, but I'm, I'm nearly 100 percent sure they are changing that rule. But like, you've got a four foot, three foot, six foot, seven foot whatever length of put and you have a spike mark on the line that's going to the hole and you can't touch it yeah. yet you have not created it but there, the rule at the moment is saying it's improving your, your lie it's going to help you well if you haven't put it there why should you not be like nine times out of ten you're going to miss if you go over the spike mark it's going to move off if you go around it upper or lower it's going to miss higher low side it's interesting isn't it because when you look at it it's a contradiction because if you have a plug mark you're allowed to fix the plug mark absolutely like your ball if your ball embeds on the green because you've hit a high shot and the greens are damp some courses like to keep the greens a little bit moisture a little bit of moisture in them simply to help the amateur golfers if they're too hard you're in trouble like links Um, you can fix it but if you have this tiny little spike mark that's in the way of your putt you can't change it man that's just I tell you it's, it drives me insane now the best thing is, I suppose it is good that, that you know golf shoes are becoming better in terms of what what they are and how they work but there are simple people out there with you know metal spike shoes yeah. spikes in the shoes and it just yeah that'd, that'd what be are the regulations on, on golf shoes now uh, course specific you know, some courses don't allow spikes anymore because they do cut up the greens. Okay. Um, whereas now it's all soft spikes. Yeah. You know, which is great. But there are courses that don't mind it. So at the end of the day... Is it more... Would it be older school? Would they be wearing the spikes? It tends to be. Like, what you're used to. What you're used to. You know, we all have a, a particular type of footwear we like to wear, shoe or golf shoe or whatever. And, you know, it is that. Me personally, I, I go for comfort over anything. It doesn't matter what make the shoe is. As long as it's waterproof and it's comfortable, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. Jason, golf. In uh, have yeah, you, ha, ha, have you played much? Do you play much? No, I don't. No, and I'm not going to be one of those people who'll. Uh, no, but everybody's telling me I should because I'm of that age now. You oh, yeah. of that age, <laughs> of that age. If you haven't been playing like uh, like yourself, Gary, from a young fella kind of age, um, now I'm still playing five aside and stuff for me since. Yeah, so, but people are saying, oh, you're getting a few injuries, you know. Well, yeah, all right, yeah, slow down, slow down. Yeah. You're on your way out, is it? That's why I started playing golf. I was, I was getting too many injuries playing other sports. Really? Well, I only really, I only really start playing real competitive golf like when I was 29 I think I'm, ter- I'm 38 at the minute so like what, what, throughout my youth I boxed for years I played Gaelic I played soccer athletics um, I played American football you know I've, I've played low I mean at a high level I've played a lot of sports but as you get into late 20s it's like right what can I do for the rest of my life and obviously being a, a golf addict and I loved golf mm. and I, I would dabble in it every now and again it was like I'd finished playing American football it's like right let's, let's really invest more time into playing golf but yeah back in the day I didn't really play much as a, as a youth okay. I played it now and again but not that much that often. can I ask one question just uh like your your clients as such you know the people you're looking after yes do you get a lot of people like me you know who are just kind of getting in or are you dealing with more with the seasoned no I, all all like i've had guys i've guys in the 20s ladies in the 20s all the way down to professional golfers on the, the mini tours i've had the whole lot and juniors you know so there's a wide spectrum at the end of the day physical if you look what you do for your golf game in terms of physical and fitness can help all walks of life it can help you every day Okay, thumbs up card. VAR. Okay. I have to say, VAR has just come out in football. Um, 
Unfortunately, my team even Liverpool. After, even after last night. Even after last night. Oh, look, it was brilliant. It does what it says in the tin. It's like Ron Seal. It's great. At the end of the day, they're getting decisions right. And that is the absolute paramount. Yes, it's taken a little bit longer. Yes, Liverpool don't have a big screen, which they need to, I suppose, put in now. But the fact of the matter is there was a, there was a, a goal disallowed because the player was offside. There was a penalty given because it was a peno. Absolutely it, it will get better it's a little bit slow at the moment but the fact that it's working and I know it didn't help Liverpool and Firmino missed his pen and we won't talk about it but anyway look it is it's, I'm fine I'm over it I now. could talk about it all day if you want I'm sure well let's go I don't mind I'll take it on the chin it's just I, I don't think Klopp really cares about the FA Cup <laughs> that's, that's my it. matter he probably said lads just put a bit of effort in there we've got bigger fish to fry now look VAR I think it's going to be a great uh, great asset to the game it's been brilliant in rugby it's been brilliant in um, tennis it's been brilliant in cricket why not soccer Soccer is a global sport. It's probably the biggest sport out of a lot of them. Yet they're so slow to act and change. Yeah, they just need to get a little bit more efficient. That'll come with time. Absolutely. I think the, the biggest thing is that the pressure that's on... We were just discussing this earlier. The pressure that's on the referees now because the, the reason why they're probably taking so long is that if they get it wrong with the addition of VAR, well, that they could be demoted, they could be gone. So there's a lot of pressure on the referee to make sure it's 100% right now. There is, but... And you can see there could be some decisions that will be 50-50. Well, they did say, I think they said it last night and during the game, it has to be clear and obvious. They yeah. have to make sure it's clear and obvious or they can't change it. So like if, it, if, it, if, it, if it, like the penalty instance, if that wasn't clear and obvious, that would not have been changed. Now it was clear, he was dragged back, let's be honest. No matter where you're looking from, you could be on Mars, it was a penalty. But, um, so... Will they get them wrong? I would say very, very rarely. Simply because you have a guy back in some place, they were saying in Heathrow Airport or something, looking at it. You've got the guy and uh, the referee looking at it. You, two guys, and then when it goes into the, which I'm assuming it will go into the the um, stadiums on bigger screens. Yeah, they, they they won't be able to get it wrong. It just I don't think so. I think it's going to be a 99.9 percent accuracy because it is technology at the end. Yeah, of the day. and they should be able to cut the time down sufficiently enough when there's I suppose a bit of confidence in it. 100. Yeah. percent You know what I mean? Okay, your puzzles card yeah Speedway never got it Speedway <laughs> is a sport like I don't, I don't get it like I like motorsports I like, like there's very few sports I don't like I mean I'll watch anything um, <laughs> but Speedway horse racing I'm not a big fan of and um, NASCAR I don't, I don't get this drive NASCAR especially NASCAR and Speedway I don't get why you're driving around circles all day just, yeah. at least Speedway it's only a few laps NASCAR it's like 200 laps driving around and around and around pit stop <laughs> drive around pit stop drive around it's like what um, like I like Formula 1 it's great yeah. um, I think that can improve in certain elements at the moment yeah. but like yeah driving laps is I'd say, I think with, with, with horse racing even though you're not a fan I can see the tactical elements of horse racing you'll have a horse you'll know what it's good at maybe it's good from leading from the front and you have to get your tactics right maybe um, you know is he a good jumper is he not a good jumper whatever there's loads of little d- dilemmas in, in, but with as you said Indy 2000 or whatever it is and you're going around in circles uh, do you have to have a, a stronger left hand than a right hand you know it's 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 it's, it's very one way and, and 100% and I often wonder about the crowd what are the crowd doing surely they can't be staring at the same car going around like they must be just getting out <laughs> they're drinking their faces off that's, yeah. that's what I say I, I've, got, I've been to basketball games in America I've been to golf sport uh, golf they drink their faces off too actually and I've, been to, I've been to American football they like to have a drink and a lot of it but isn't the beauty of American football and baseball that there's intervals in between and they have the mid sort of section entertainment and there's little things going on with the crowds especially with the baseball that they, they have there's nine innings so in between each one they might have something going on in the pitch or you know something going on in the big screen the NASCAR said it's continuous continuous flow of cars round in circles so 
you know what? I, I, we've been doing this for a few, good few weeks now, and that never came into my head. And I'm with you now. I can't. Yeah, I, can't yeah. I can't. I can't. I have often thought of it. Maybe Until there's a big crash, though. And then it gets interesting. Well, that's right? it. Yeah. But then what did they do? They just sweep them off the side exactly. of the road and fix, then fix it and off it, you go again. Instead of 60 cars, it's 39 cars. And yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. We're putting that in. If this is room 101. It's gone in. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, listen, you have a, a free Facebook private uh, group that you've invited golfers to join in. What's it about and how can I help golfers that ex- expect to join? Yeah, so I have Confessions of a Golf Addict Facebook page, which, as you were saying, has over just under 40,000 people on it. Um, and then I have a group. A group, it's a private uh, group um, where we have a couple of questions we ask golfers uh, upon joining. And we bring them in. And it's, it's just sharing my knowledge. It's, you know, Fit Tip Thursday, which would be, you know, a fitness exercise that can help some element of their body um, swing tip Saturday which we've just launched that's in conjunction with my swing coach Ty Carrington and that's where you know Ty will uh, talk about certain issues and common faulty fees within the golf game or within the golf swing and then I will come in and show an exercise that I feel that can help that area so it's and then it's just it's just having fun you know I'd be talking talking golf talking tiger talking um, anything within the realms of golf is in there it's not just about the fitness side of things it's about the fun the tournaments you know players etc etc so that's pretty much what the group is and it's just look at the end of the day golf is great let's be honest and fun fun that's it look if you like it you're going to find it fun um, but yeah, for me, it's, it's all about giving back, you know, because not everybody knows what to do. Like you hear, gen- I see obviously been in the industry for so long, generic problems for this, generic problems for that. Whereas golf is quite specific. It's very rotational. You have to have good mobility in your hips. You've got to have good strong core, which is your abdominal region down into your quads. And um, you've got to be able to balance yourself because there's no point in being able to swing a club at 100 to 120 mile an hour if you can't stay balanced. You need to have strength and power. Yeah. Um, so basically what I do is I give tips and give help and give advice on that side of things to people who can't readily come to me because it is a global a group and it's a global page yeah if someone is not on Facebook how can they contact you um Info at the golfcc.com is my email address um I have a phone number um Oh, it's six eight eight four seven eight four three. That for anybody living in Ireland okay. and yeah they're the two best ways to get me okay great well I love the page thank uh, you very much I love golf and don't play enough of it. Uh, 100% don't play enough of it. I'd love to be playing more golf and maybe as as I get as old as Jason, maybe I'll start thinking about it. <laughs> what are you trying to say? Am I older than Jason? Jeez, we're all in trouble. <laughs> I think we'll we go to an ad break and after the ad break, uh, I want to thank Gary for coming in. You've thank you been, very much for having you've me. You've been brilliant. Thanks, uh, the, the Facebook page is excellent and uh, continued luck with everything that you're doing. Thanks, Emil. Appreciate thank it. very much. And welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. Who was that, Jason? As a band, well, a really a guy called Kurt Vile, and the name of the song was Pretty Pimpin'. And um, he used to be in the War and Drugs band. They're pretty big at the moment. Um, they're the one that's down like kind of Bruce Springsteen, Bob yeah, Dylan. Yeah. Anyway, I like that one. It's got funky guitar. Yeah, I like that. I enjoyed yeah. it. We're nearly finished the show. So far, it's been going so far. So good. Yeah. Ireland. 
Okay. The, the reason why we, we seem to always bring the Republic of Ireland football team up and Martin O'Neill up. Okay. Now you had a couple yeah. of things you you were going to talk about about the the squad, but just on the Martin O'Neill, did you see the Martin O'Neill interview with Tony O'Donoghue? No, I didn't. I oh, didn't see it. No, it was after the, the oh sorry yeah, Nations no, no. League. I did. Yeah, yeah. The Nations League draw. So. It was kind of a, a, a. He said he was verbally attacked. He, he it got, it got a bit heated. It got a bit heated, yeah, didn't yeah, it? It did. What's your take on the whole O'Donoghue O'Neill thing? I can understand why O'Donoghue kind of went with that kind of tack. Um, I think sometimes Martin O'Neill can get a bit. You know, he got his back up very easily on that. I think he was well within uh, O'Donoghue was well within his rights to kind of go down that line of questioning with him. So I was surprised, actually. I would have thought, Martin O'Neill, this should be water off a duck's back. We just got to show you the pressure. It goes all the way. Oh, even, even when it's not a, a pressure, pressurized yeah. situation. Yeah. He just went to, obviously, it accumulated. And he just had enough, didn't he? Yeah, he was like, yeah. I'm going to fight back. In fairness, Tony O'Donoghue is doing his job. He has to ask certain questions. He has to ask what people are thinking. Like, I think I like him because he's asking the questions that the, the supporter is, is thinking. Yeah. And when they're being asked... It means that you're, he, he has to realise that he's doing a job for the supporters. You know, he's doing it for the FAI. Everyone is in on this together. And people want to know answers. And, but I think Martin O'Neill thinks that, listen, this is me. I'm above everything. But, and but a, lot of them, a lot of the managers are like that. Yeah. You know? Some of them are more savvy than others. But I'm surprised at that, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe he's a little bit more old school than we thought he was. Maybe. I was going to play the clip, but I might not now. Mm. A couple of Irish footballers who are starting to come into the, the papers. Yeah, that, um, th- so the two lads that we're talking about, and really it's the whole Jack Grealish situation happening again, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the Darren Rice lad, who is getting some uh, games for West Ham. West Ham. So he's coming into the first team. He's playing really well. Looks like um, he'll stay. Um, he's going to be picked again for the next Premier game for them. But the thing is, will he... It, now it looks like he's going to be called up by the um, English FA and he's going to go to them it's listen you're putting in performances you look like you're a good player and if there's any way that he he can play for a certain country people are going to take interest Mm. the the only thing is is that there's a World Cup coming up how much of an opportunity is Gareth Southgate going to give to young players just before a World Cup yes maybe attacking players who can maybe change a game and stuff like that give him a run see if he can cope with the yeah. pressure defensively is he going to give the, the trust before a, a big competition maybe he wants to try maybe he will maybe he will. maybe I'm wrong uh, maybe it's hope maybe yeah. I just don't want them to take uh, our players but I think the FAI need to act yeah. on, on, on that kind of thing as, as well with uh, the young lad who came on for Southampton yeah the, the Nigerian week. lad the Irish Nigerian lad but he sounds like he, I heard him being asked you know who do you want to play for and he was pretty unequivocal saying Nigeria oh yeah so, yeah I didn't hear that now. which is fair enough like and that's okay like he put his hand up straight away that's obviously you know where his heart kind of lies oh and he, he's played underage with Ireland yeah so he's, he's playing underage yeah. Ireland, but he wants to play with Nigeria. But that's great, isn't it? It's refreshing. At least he's being. Well, at least he's being honest. Yeah. So, but again, do the FAI have to look around and say, "Listen, can we help and push this guy to making a decision for for Ireland?" If his allegiance is certain there, his allegiance is certain mm. there. A retirement. Uh, Daryl Murphy has retired from uh, Irish has he? Uh, international. He says he's thirty three or four. And he's saying, listen, what can I, else can I give to the Ireland team? I'm not going to give too much more in my He stage. gave it his all. He terms. gave it his all. So it's kind of... That's bittersweet, isn't it? That's, 
that's his lot yeah. in fairness yeah. uh, again we, we've got Wales and we've got Denmark in nothing exciting nothing new we've got trashed by Denmark and in fairness we've got, we got our ahead of Wales in the, in the qualifiers what do you think do you think you can, we can get through that or is it going to be a sticky situation uh, looking with looking back with hindsight and now looking at the games coming up I don't know you know I, I personally I'm not were you happy that he signed no absolutely no. not no I wasn't happy at all I think he, he did his, he did his he bit. did a stint he did a stint and I think it, the time's up and because he's getting so aggravated I think it shows that maybe this is the time that he should go because he's actually getting he's not enjoying it yeah he looks like he's burnt out yeah he doesn't look like he's enjoying it now so if he, he didn't get the Stoke job you know so he's just kind of hanging around yeah and uh, you don't want that you want someone who has the energy and all and uh, Asher we'll see anyhow we'll see yeah. what way it works out but hopefully I, I will be cheering on the team nonetheless no matter what uh, absolutely who's you know. in charge or what have you okay Jay we're gonna leave we're finished up we'll come back to next week next week we have a great show we have the Irish Ice, Irish Ice Hockey Association coming in so that should be interesting uh, to see what way they work function and I believe that they only have an ice rink at certain times of the year which at the end of January I believe they don't and they have to rollerblade so it's like a temporary one that just gets put down the one in the, that's po- cr- the one in the point I believe that's a crazy way to isn't it that's a no support so we'll have them on next week and uh, hopefully we'll have another great show what are we going to finish with Jason going to finish with one uh, now this one a bit, bit Nirvana-esque this is Bush and Swallowed do you remember the song this I lad do. was married to Gwen Stefani for ages so uh, here we go enjoy this warm song 